Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how, uh, one, Max goes in front of his Dutch crowd. It's either going to go amazingly well or amazingly badly. And in Monza, I'm just looking forward to seeing the scale of the cock-up that Ferrari do in front of the Tifosi. <laughs> Goodman, and you're listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is Tom and you're listening to the Formula Birds podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Jordan King, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Brophy. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. We are here today to discuss the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa. To discuss this interesting race with me, which was for sure much better than last year's Belgian Grand Prix. We have James. How are you? I'm very well, sir. How are you? I am good. Thank you for asking. We have Abby. How are you, Abby? I'm good. I'm a, I'm a little bit tired because I did go out last night, but I am glad that I am here on the podcast with you guys. Lovely. Were you going out to celebrate the race? Um, no, because <laughs> it was not the result that I wanted, so I was not. No. Okay. No worries. And we have Catherine. How are you, Catherine? I'm good. I can be better. I'm a bit tired. But I'm tired of some things that happened during the race weekend. So tired of Ferrari we'll get to that. not winning. I can imagine. Okay, well, um, we're going to start with our race ratings before we go any further. Any further. Now, this is not a rating of the show ahead. This is just a rating of the race that we're going to discuss. James. I, I, I struggle really with this one because it has some fantastic action at the start. And then it all got rather predictable. So I'm going to probably have to give it a four and a half. Four and a half to start off. Abby, what are you going to give it? I mean, it's better than previous ones where we've seen just a two lap race behind a safety car, but it was still a four out of 10 for me. Still oh, damn, right. Okay. Um, Catherine? I'm going to give it a five because, you know, it's half. And we had half the race, which was exciting because the teams didn't know how the tires were going to react and all that. So there was a bit um, of of unknown. And then the second part was just, you know, predictable. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I, I might go to 5.5 because 
At the end of the first two, two and a half laps, this was a 10 out of 10. This was, uh, this was set up to be a beautiful spa race that we know and love. Um, and then the other 42 laps um, knocked that down a little bit. So, okay, let's talk a bit about spa, though. So uh, Spa was brought in in the 1950s. This is one of the most classic racetracks in our sport. Um, This was the 55th Belgium Grand Prix. And the thing about Spa is the leader of the Drivers' Championship after that race has won the title 33 different years. But there have been some great races at Spa. Um, Let's just sort of talk about some of our favourites. Now, Abby was, you know, she's only been born last year, so she can't really talk about some of the greatest ones. But mine's got to be 2008, which was the the battle between Kimi and Lewis with the final sort of three laps with the chaos in the rain, everyone spinning. James, do you remember that one? I do, though I will slightly differ from your favourite race, and I'm going to go back to Spa 98 as my favourite Grand Prix, because that was just full of madness, full of chaos. Uh, a race probably by today's standards that wouldn't even have started or even taken place. And also it was the time when Schumacher and Coulthard had their, should we say, little coming together? Nothing really happened there other than a few 50 cuffs in the pit lane. <laughs> expected 50, 50 cuffs. Michael Schumacher hits David Coulthard and is out. Can I just say, I love how Ollie chose a favourite spa race from when I was born. James, I was minus three at the 98 Belgian Grand Prix. I'm nearly 35. I can't help it. I'm depressed enough as it is about that. To hear your minus four in 98 is even more depressing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is, it's depressing me a little bit as well. Uh, what are you guys' favourite Spa Grand Prix? Because we, we have had some good ones. Abby, I was only winding you up. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's difficult to choose. I'd say Spa isn't necessarily one of my favourite tracks for races. It's obviously a historic F1 track and it is amazing. Catherine, when was the last time a Ferrari won there? I think is going to be the question. (laughs) The last time Ferrari won there, it was in 2019. It was Leclerc's first win. But to be fair, I cannot say that it was really good because it was a bit tragic because Antoine Hubert had just passed away. So it's not really, um, I would say that it would have been my favorite if the tragedy didn't happen. And I think I have to agree with Abby too. Like maybe it's because something with the people born in the 2000s, but we do not really find, I, I do not really find it as one of my favorite tracks either. I wouldn't want it to stop, but I wouldn't say that this is my all time favorite. So this is interesting, actually, because this whole discussion is it's the new generation of fans that, you know, are are sort of the spa generation. And me and James are here like, oh, yeah, back back in our day. And there have been just amazing races there. Again, spa is 80 percent full throttle. It's the longest track on the circuit. It's in the most beautiful setting on Earth. If you know, for our listeners that have been there. Yes, it's not Monaco. It's a racetrack. But spa has had some news about its uh, future, hasn't it? Who wants to pick up on that? Can I just unfortunately correct you and say it's the fast, one of the fastest tracks on the calendar, not the circuit? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I call the calendar but, the circuit because they go around the world. Uh, <laughs> but yes, it, it, we have had news that Spa was confirmed live on air on Sky Sports uh, to say that we had, it will be same on the, on the calendar for one more year and the reason as to why that is if you think that the discussions between uh, Kyle Army and F1 fell through 
which means that that was going to replace Spa. And I know that we have to carry on going into new markets. We have to continue the rapid expansion. But if you kill off a circuit like Spa and replace it with another dreary circuit with no grass and gravel, sorry to give at this, how awesome was it to see grass and gravel? And how good was it to see cars actually respecting track limits? Because if they screwed up this time, they were gone. Well, there weren't many respecting track limits there at the beginning, James, but they paid the penalty, didn't they? The ultimate sacrifice for not respecting track limits. Yes. Well, if he didn't, he continued, but never mind. Yeah, and Lewis can fly. All right, we'll, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. Um, but building up into this weekend, there was some news. Abby, you are one of our McLaren fans. I've just realised we've got the second most passionate McLaren fan here as well today. Um, <laughs> what was the news that we'd all been expecting? The news was that Ricardo will be leaving McLaren at the end of this year and not completing his two-year contract with the team so obviously we've all seen the Pias the Piastri drama and everything and there's speculation that Piastri will be going to McLaren so we were all eagerly awaiting that confirmation but Ricardo and McLaren did confirm that he would be leaving which I knew it was coming but it was still really sad to actually hear because he didn't have that same smile across the weekend, that Danny Rick smile that we all love. I mean, if I'd just been paid as much as he had, I would have been smiling. But, you know, he's a race driver. James, you have done theatre. You have done, um, you, you know, you have done theatrics, let's say, in your career. Daniel Ricardo's video, he announced it first. It was him filming himself, sitting against a white wall. I... I nearly cried watching it, and I knew it was coming, and he just looked so sad. Don't you think? Was that genuine? It was, and it's something which I've unfortunately seen with Danny for a while now, which I've sort of kept to myself, but it's something very few people, unless you've gone through something similar, will understand, and I don't mean to sound like a, a, a wokey millennial when I say that sentence. Can I even say that? No, I'll change that again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping that in, don't worry. I'll, I'll start again. Um but in all seriousness, unless you've gone through something serious, unless you've gone through something serious, you don't actually see it. You talked about Danny Ricardo's smile, Abby, didn't you? That it's always there for the most part. In my view, the smile has been there. The eyes haven't been there. And he's been in, uh, he's been in a spiral for some time. And it's been heartbreaking to see. And it's, he, has, he has been, he's almost accepted the situation. He's tried to get out of it. And I think now that his time at McLaren is coming to an end, it was the final blow of like, okay, this is done. And it crushed him. It's crushed him massively. But the really good thing about being in a situation like that, the only positive out of it is you become so much more stronger from it. You develop a, thi a thicker skin and resilience that you never know you had, which I know as a racing driver, you probably already have anyway. But you need, but I, 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 this isn't the end for Danny Rick. I don't know where he's going to end up, but I think, the emotion's more than genuine and it is heartbreaking. I think Danny just needs to get through the end of the season and then we're going to see what happens to him next year. And hopefully, just hopefully, he one, he'll be on the grid and two, you know, he's not going to get back to being amazing quickly. That's just not going to happen. It'll take time, but he will get there. I have no doubt. Okay, so, I mean, this is more of a new show topic, which we, I'm sure we'll cover on Wednesday, but um, all the talk now is, where's Ricardo going to go? And there's talks about Williams or back to Alpine. And um, he was pushed all weekend by every single um, journalist about, where, where do you want to go? And he started the weekend not answering the question, but by the end of it, he was going, yeah, I'll go to, I'll go to Alpine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll go to Alpine. Is this desperation, do you think, Catherine? I don't think it's desperation, because to be fair, it's like... 
we have seen many comments on what happened to Ricardo and a lot of team principals have said how it was not right. And I think any of them would be lucky to actually have him on their team. In fact, there was um, there was news that Gunter Steiner even called him before Hungary to offer him a seat. So in my opinion, it's not desperation because team principals want him. And... Uh, there is young talent going into the sport, but I don't think that we're going to be in a position where we're going to see like three or four drivers, new rookie drivers coming into it. So there is a place for him and I don't think that he would be that desperate. I think he's more disappointed and now he wants to prove like, listen, McLaren did that to me. But I am still here. They're not going to break me like that, you know, because it sort of came out like a Ricardo versus McLaren now, although it shouldn't be because McLaren had they did what they had to do. It wasn't nice, but unfortunately, they had to choose what was best for their team. Okay, I, I mean, I think the, the word desperation I used to not end up in a Williams or or Haas was was more more it. It's right, Albin. Yep, yep. I can still continue um, in, in in a good car. Abby, do you think do you think he'll end up going to Alpine? What's you just just yeah or no? Yeah, I and, think he will. I think that's yeah. probably the most likely place that he will end up. And guys, it's pretty much just a case of when they're going to announce Piastri for McLaren now, isn't it? It is. And can I just sort of say, say a sense of irony here, in a way. In 20, when Ricardo went to Alpine, Alpine were the instigators of that incident in which Christian Horner was a bit, a bit angry that he'd lost his star dri- one of his star drivers to Alpine. Fast forward to 2022, and Alpine are now the victim of it and have lost potentially both drivers. Um, but hopefully Piasco will end. They are the contract recognition board is meeting uh, today on which is Monday here uh, when we record this. So it's a matter of time before Piasco ends. I don't know who's going to win out in terms of the contract, but it is going to be a very expensive venture for McLaren. No matter how you look at it. <laughs> James, it's Monday in most of the world, not just here. <laughs> Well, just in case someone listens to this on a Tuesday, it's like if someone watches Dave in the UK, they're watching a repeat or something. I don't know. <laughs> it is Monday here. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. Right. Um, let's talk about getting into the weekend then. So it was all about power unit changes, penalties, and this is what Spa's always about. I'm, I know that this is really, really complicated in terms of who was doing what, what the penalties were going to be. So I'm going to ask Abby to explain it. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so obviously Spa, we're going in. Verstappen was leading the championship. He's been leading it since the sixth race, I believe. So all eyes were on him and Leclerc, who were both taking engine penalties, as well as Valtteri Bottas, Esteban Ocon and Lando Norris and Esteban Ocon and Mick Schumacher. And with the Alpha Tauris, they weren't initially taking um, back of the grid penalties, however, starting from the pit lane for the race. So there were two gaps. And what those guys mysteriously uh, in front of the Red Bull of Max Verstappen as well? Not to do a conspiracy theory here, but... <laughs> I I did think it was quite a tactical move from Red Bull and Alpha Tower. I mean, less cars for Max to overtake during the race, but... Okay, so whatever happened, the grid was going to be not a true reflection of qualifying. Now, one of the lovely stats that was brought out by Sky Sports was that um, 
not one driver started the race where they qualified. That's mad. I mean, that's almost making qualifying pointless. I don't think that it was pointless, though. You know why? Because, for example, if you take Alex Albon, he managed to start in P6. If it wasn't for qualifying, would that have happened? Exactly my point. No. <laughs> so he didn't, he didn't qualify in P6. He got lucky because everyone else was shuffling, shuffling. Yeah, but, you know, sometimes it's all about luck. So I guess it's like we see many drivers that end up winning because things go wrong for other teams. So sometimes, you know, it's just luck. And I don't think that it was all for nothing. I think it actually made it, even, you know, a bit even even better, maybe. Still exciting. Well, I mean, it was Alonso's first top three start in Belgium for 15 years. Let's talk a bit about what happened in qualifying. So um, Q1, we saw Vettel, Latifi, Magnussen, Sonoda and Bottas uh, leave Q1. Um, That was Valtteri Bottas ending a 148 race streak um, of getting through Q1. So that is his first Q1 elimination since Monaco back in 2015. It wasn't a good weekend for our birthday boy, Valtteri Bottas, was it? It certainly was not. And obviously with qualifying and that, he knew that he would be starting at the back of the grid with the penalty, but then things just went from bad to worse in the race. Got to try and put a positive spin on what happened as a little clue. I'm sorry. (laughs) I like that. I like that. So um, any surprises from the Q1 uh, in qualifying, guys? Not really. I think we expected most people to go out who who went out. There were no real uh, heavy casualties on that round. Good. I'm glad there were no casualties. Um, uh, Q2 saw Ricardo Gasly, uh, Guan Yu Zhou, Stroll and Schumacher out. I don't think that's any surprises either. Do you guys? No, I think none of the results really... Well, there was one result that shocked me, but none of them were like, why have they gone out? Like It was kind of just normal stuff. It was sad to see Ricardo out in Q2 because I kind of was hoping that he'd be like, show McLaren, I actually still have it. I can get into Q3. But yeah, no surprises really there. Okay, and who wants to go through the top 10 for qualifying? Now, as we've hinted, this is not the starting grid but uh, how did we qualify Catherine so we had Verstappen top the timings and then we had Sainz and Perez Leclerc in fourth then we had the two Alpines starting well they were going to start by each other it's Ocon and Alonso then we had Hamilton and Russell follow too and then we had Albon and finally we had Norris but that didn't matter uh, we started the race after all the grid penalties and whatnot with Carlos Sainz on pole Sergio Perez it was Alonso P3 Hamilton P4 Russell P5 Ricardo in P7 and Gasly starting in 8th Stroll 9th and Sebastian Vettel in 10th when was the last time we saw two Aston Martins start the race in the top 10 I don't think ever at all this season I don't think they've ever done it because that car is, I'm not going to repeat what I said a few few podcasts ago, but yes, it's not the best car. I can't remember what you said, but it made me laugh. Um, (laughs) And you begged me not to put it in the edit, but I did. So during the qualifying, we did have a little mishap from Ferrari again. So basically, Charles Leclerc, they knew that he was going to earn himself a penalty, but they decided to still take him out tried to tow signs and hopefully the Spaniard would get a really good position for Sunday, which he did. 
But what Ferrari did, that they sent him out on new tires. So Leclerc was out there and he was like, what am I supposed to do with these tires? Because he thought that he was going to set a good lap. And the ideal would have been that Leclerc would finish above Verstappen so that when they earned penalties, he would still start above him. But that didn't happen. And Ferrari were like, well, it was our mistake. So just do a lap. And then he was supposed to go back in and hopefully change the tires. So what do we have to say about Ferrari basically messing up again? I call Ferrari, to be honest now, and I'll bring down the cake metaphors. Um, I call Ferrari um, a soggy bottomed cake now. So on the outside, they look pretty good, but cut to the inside and it's just it's just not very nice or It's well just done. dry and rough. Well, no, and, no. And James thinks it's soggy. I would explain them differently, you know. You know when you have a really nice cake and you expect it to be like really moist, but then you just take a bite into it, it's just dry. No creativity at all. Like, come on, let's put some ingredients in. Make it better. No, made it worse. Carrot cake, there you go. <laughs> oh, back to the carrot cake again. Um, all right, let's talk, let's talk about the race. So we always start this with the National Anthem Review. I was really excited because, uh, as I've clearly said, Spa is one of my favourite tracks and I wanted a big, come on, let's have it. And we didn't get that. Um, what we did get was Anna Winkin, um, good singer. There are a few points where my, you know, the TV started sort of vibrating because um, it was a solo a cappella performance. I, I, it wasn't for me. I thought it was um, pretty painful to listen to. And does anyone know who the, the, the random kids are at, at the start or during the national anthems that wearing the F1 T-shirts? Does anyone know who they are? Because I, I haven't quite worked out the link to those children and the races yet. They're Greek kids, aren't they? So they're the replacement. Yeah, they're, they're called Greek kids. So they're replacement for the for the Greek girls that the, that were uh, got rid of 2018, 2019? Am I very wrong? I, I, I don't know, but I've never heard the word grid kids before. Have you, Abby? Your reaction was the same as mine, then. <laughs> I can't say that I have. No, that's, yeah, that's very confusing. I don't, yeah. I mean, they're certainly not holding uh, driver numbers up, are they, uh, in front of the cars? Um, I just searched it up. So apparently these grit kids, they are young carters and aspiring racing drivers, and they are selected by the Grand Prix National Sporting Authority. So 20 of them have the chance to stand along the drivers, but unfortunately they weren't standing along the drivers. They were standing around the singer. And uh, yeah, well, hopefully we'll get to see them race in Formula One one day. Well, yeah. Well, we got to see them do the national anthem. So, what I think F one. Um, I know we have some listeners who work in F one. Um, can you explain that? Because it just is a little strange to me that you have a few kids standing in the background wearing F one t shirts. I'd like to know that they are young carters. I'd like to know their names. I'd like to know where they're from. So, there's a bit of feedback for you. My rating of the national anthem this week is a two out of ten. Ouch. Yes, I know. It's low. I think it's the lowest. James, what is yours? See, mine is actually a six. 
And the reason why is because, uh, once again, as per as normal national anthems, I get a text from my mum and dad when they're watching the race after the Silverstone debacle. I usually get that. To which my usual response, to which our response this time was, they said to me, uh, what, did the, what did they send me? They said, they've got someone who can actually sing. This isn't half bad. Because we haven't got a rock solo or we haven't got a... Uh, a really terrible rendition of our national anthem it was just normal again it was quite high pitched of course but we didn't have any rubbish alongside it so for that it gives me a six i love I give it a six i love that your parents get involved with a national anthem review that is that's the greatest thing i've heard now Did, are they listeners of the show james is that why we, do you get the text partially i mean i got i called them a hard work and they never gave me for that so uh <laughs> <laughs> um abby what did you give it i'd say it's a three it was a lot better than the Silverstone one, but it wasn't really like that entertaining. She was a good singer in that, but it was just a bit meh to me. So I'll give it a three. Okay, so I saved Catherine until last year because I read her notes. Um, so I knew it was going to be a climactic end to our uh, National Anthem Grand Prix uh, review. Um, Catherine? I am going to throw in the foreigner card. Because that anthem had three languages. As Naomi Schiff explained, it had three renditions all mixed up together. So it had a French version, a Flemish version, and a German version. Now, I do not know how she managed to switch from one language to another consecutively. Because I can speak more than one language and I still get confused. So, and if any of you guys here can do that... I would be very impressed because I meet a lot of English people who tell me that they are impressed by how I can speak more than one language. And for me, it's nothing impressive. I just learned at school. Yeah, so. I, I learned German and French at school and I failed both of them. So yeah. I can only speak English and sometimes BS. I'm very good at speaking that as well. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going, you know, I'm going to give her an eight because it's it's pretty impressive how she managed to you know mix the languages and she's a pretty good singer too i wouldn't be able to do that so i've known you for quite a while now Catherine. i didn't think you could do that either so that's um no offense <laughs> james's, james's eyebrows just lifted off his head then when i said none that. taken honestly <laughs> told you i can speak bs right cool that is the end of the national anthem review let's get into the race shall we where shall we start james i'm going to hand it to you Carlos Sainz got off the line pretty well, as did Fernando Alonso, and everybody got through La Source without a problem, which is unusual for Spa. Might be because they reprofiled the edge of the corner with gravel, though. There might be something to do with it. We then climbed the hill from Eau Rouge and Radion, uh, along the Kemmel Strait and into Le Com, where things got a little bit spicy. Uh, between Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton, and he went for, and Lewis Hamilton went for a little bit of a it's a bit of a flight, didn't he, really? Yeah, bottoms up, bottoms up. He, um, it, was, it was such chaos, and we could see that the chaos was coming through the long straight. We, we just we knew it was going to happen. I didn't think Alonso was going to um, basically... Well, I did. I did think this was going to happen. I hoped it wouldn't happen, but Alonso kept his elbows out, didn't he? Um, Abby, what did you make of that whole... Um, Alonso Hamilton squeeze. Well, it was Hamilton versus Alonso. So we know that Alonso isn't going to give up fighting just because it's Lewis. He will always fight Lewis. And you could definitely hear that 
aggression and contempt over Alonso's radio after the incident. Um, but yeah, they were both going into the corner and Hamilton was on the outside. And yes, it was, as a Hamilton fan, it's really sad to see because it did mean that Hamilton then had to retire from the race, from the damage that he sustained to the W13. However, I do think that Alonso had the corner. So for me, it was a racing incident. And that is also what the stewards decided, that it was just an incident on the opening lap. No penalties or any reprimands were given, apart from Lewis did get a warning for refusing to go to the medical centre. But it was bound to happen. I mean, these cars are massive, the tyres are massive, and it's Alonso versus Hamilton. It's not going to be a clean, fair fight with the two of them. I don't think it ever is with those two, to be honest. If they're, ever, if they're on the same piece of time, like they're going to hit each other half the time and it will usually end up with one of them coming off pretty bad. Uh, Lewis accepted responsibility uh, for, for the crash. It's his first DNF all season, which is uh, for surprising considering the lack of pace he has suffered from this season. But uh, Alonso was able to continue. Didn't actually have that much. Didn't actually have that much damage either, did he? He was able to keep going, which was fairly surprising. But then, if we continue, if we continue with the theme of Lecom, hold on, we, we haven't we, we haven't talked we haven't explained Fernando's radio yet. We've mentioned it, but we haven't said what he said. Now, <laughs> I actually found it. Uh, I found it as well. Are we ready? <laughs> So just to translate the end there, we got the idiot bit, but this guy only knows how to drive and start in first. <laughs> I bet you at that moment, Alpine sales tripled by Verstappen fans, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and uh, after the race, they, they asked about that team radio and he said, well, they shouldn't broadcast it. You know, I was in the car, I was just saying, well, it's just angry. No, no, Alonso, you meant that. You said it, and you know that they broadcast team radio. <laughs> Don't backtrack. And I would actually quite like him to say, yeah, that's what I think, because it is what he thinks. I mean, I'd just like to say with that, Hamilton's response was, it doesn't really matter what he said. I don't really care. But Alonso's comment of Hamilton only knowing how to drive and start in first. That's wrong because Hamilton has won 42 races from starting in any position that's not on pole. Yes, he's won races from pole, but he's won 42 not being on pole. So, yeah, I didn't like Alonso very much. That was very nice. It's almost, I mean, I didn't know you were going to say that, but I led you into it perfectly. You um, did. (laughs) It's it's true. It's true. And they're never going to get over their rivalry and... I love it. I, I love it. I mean, I just wish Hamilton next time when Alonso pits would make a reference to him not knowing how to pit properly and holding up teammates. But anyway, we, we won't talk about that. Yes, but James, Hamilton's little um, car injury there meant that the whole field were bunching up behind. It, do you want to continue? Yeah, so we then had the, uh, I, th- I think for the that was the only incident on the opening lap, but everyone was bunched together. On the next lap, we then had a few uh, little incidents, should we say. The first off was the Aston Martins getting a little bit close together. Um, when I mean close together, I mean one forcing the other onto the gravel trap on the edge of Lacombe, so that was very friendly. The other incident we had was uh, Nicholas Latifi running a little bit wide into the gravel trap, coming across the track and ending birthday boy Valtteri Bottas' day by beaching him in the gravel. 
and that was the end of his Grand Prix. Latifi was able to continue. Um, had to pit for had to pit at the end of the at the end of the lap for for damage, uh, and out came the safety car, and then we all we were treated to that. Um, I think we'll probably end up being quite an iconic shot of Lewis Hamilton just staring at the back of his W13 with his crash helmet on as the cars the cars race past him to get behind the safety car. Yeah, it also led to it saying on the timing screen, "Bot Ham, um, bottom." for those of you that aren't as childish as me, uh, which I enjoyed for the following 42 laps. Um, But we did have the safety car out, and there was another iconic shot, which I I just can't quite work out how they got it, where Lewis Hamilton decided to walk home, um, clearly to to have a think about life. And, you know, Belgium's a beautiful place, especially around the Czech. But at that point in the circuit, guys, please tell me if I'm wrong here, but I would have thought the cameras are fixed, right? And they're, they're, they're fixed set up for recording the track action. Did, did one of them just unclip the camera and then walk behind Hamilton as, as, as they strolled back to the pit lane? Well, that just, it was just like a film shot. No, because you see, it does sound complicated. But if you look at F1, they do not have like just one guy or like one camera and ju- they just stand there and they just film it. So when you have like a broadcast, when you broadcast something, you have many many cameras and then there are some very smart people who are all sitting in a studio with i cannot even tell you how many screens in front of them and with how many buttons in front of them and they are all just trying to choose the right shots for us and when i tell you that these people think for everything especially when you have like for example someone like sky they think for everything. Now, I cannot defend how in some other races they didn't show us some good overtakes and all that. But I had to say it. So that is how it's done, considering that I've seen it before. Um, well, I didn't see it for F1, but I did see how they do it for football, for example. So It was an iconic shot. And there are a couple there. So, well, yeah, well mentioned, James. This episode is brought to you by Eight Sleep. Good sleep is the ultimate game changer and nature's best medicine. Consistent good sleep can help reduce the likelihood of serious health issues, decrease the risk of heart disease, lower blood pressure, and even reduce the risk of Alzheimer's. Yet, still more than 30% of people struggle with sleep, and temperature is one of the main causes of poor sleep. I personally have always struggled to get the right temperature in my room when I'm sleeping and ruining my sleep. Now I'm falling asleep in record time. Thank you to 8Sleep Pod Pro Cover. The Pod Pro Cover is one of the most advanced solutions on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. You can add the cover to any mattress that you already own. The temperature of the cover will adjust to each side of the bed based on your sleep stages, biometrics and the bedroom temperature reacting intelligently to create their optimal sleeping environment. Go to 8sleep.com forward slash formula nerds to check out the Pod Pro cover and save £150 at checkout. 8 Sleeps ships to the USA, Canada, and the UK. Leclerc's afternoon started to get a little bit difficult earlier on. I think the Ferrari fans should talk about Charles Leclerc. Oh, well, Charles Leclerc, he had quite a disappointing race. Well, unfortunately, during lap four, um, a bit of Max's scar, I believe. To- it came off and Leclerc went over it and um, it got a tear in his tire. So he had to go into the pits during the safety car, which was we were lucky. He was lucky at that point because during the safety car, he would lose less time than he would have 
during the normal race. And he changed for mediums. And, well, Leclerc, it was a bit controversial. I don't know whether you want me to jump on it now. It was on lap 19. And his engineer, he was asking a lot of things. He was like, are your tires okay? Question. Can you go on longer on these tires? Question. Question. <laughs> it, it's just, and I was thinking, I was like, but if you're driving at that speed, you do not want someone asking all these questions, especially question. finishing it off with question. So I think Ferrari went a bit wrong. Maybe they were trying to learn from their mistakes and make sure that they are on the same page with their driver. That mm. could be fair. Mm. But then... Fair play to them because they were revealing how they didn't want Leclerc to finish behind the Williams because the Williams were very, very fast on the straight and it was really difficult for any driver to overtake them. So they would have lost precious time. Hmm. What do you think about this, James, question? (laughs) To be honest, to me, it's a bit like watching over a nuclear reactor that's about to go bust whilst having to juggle about 10 juggling balls. It's just, it's not something you can do. (laughs) Um, And I just don't understand Ferrari's logic in this. You can't ask the you can't ask a driver driving that fast. Oh, do you want to do this? 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 They just want to get on and drive as fast as they possibly can. Um, There's someone who's supposed to do that for you. They're called strategists. And at Ferrari, they're not particularly good at the moment, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with you. It's it's a strange sort of option to take. What I think is what has happened here on reflection and, you know, so I've had some time to think about it. I think Ferrari have been listening to our podcast and they've realised that they've made some terrible decisions that people aren't happy about. And the strategist went over and said, do you want me to take the afternoon off question? And the answer was yes. So they thought, right, okay, what we'll do is we'll just, instead of everyone else being able to blame us, we'll, we'll just ask all the questions to him because then you can't blame the Ferrari strategist. I mean, Abby, do you agree with that question? <laughs> is that how we're going to ask every question now? Question. Um, yeah, I feel like that could help because like Ferrari are just, this season they started off so strong but then it just all went downhill and yes I get like asking your driver some questions to see how the feel of the car and the tyres and what they think but asking that many when Leclerc's like driving 190 miles per hour trying to focus on not ending up in the gravel overtaking drivers getting places he can't be thinking about all of that at the same time so, no, and it was it wasn't just the volume of questions it was the complexity of the questions right yeah. and i was actually googling what's the most complicated question you can ask with us like a simple answer at the time i couldn't find one but it was like let's talk for 40 seconds and then ask a question out of the end of that it, it was I, I think it was unfair but i'm i am sure it's our own fault Catherine, do, do you think they're going to do the same again next week um you know what i want to say they are learning from it and they would do better but i just do not see it happening this year i just think that i i do not know but there needs to be some sort of some either like I don't want to say a revamp, but there needs to be like Matteo Benotto 
needs to grab his team. He needs to sit him, sit them down and be like, listen, we're going to have a weekend and we are not going to mess it up. We are going to remember that we are racing for Ferrari. We are not here to help Max Verstappen win another championship. He's strong enough to do that on his own. Because honestly, it's just, it's really tiring. And I think even for the fans to see that, it's like, it's tiring for them. It's not making the season any fun, you know, because we're having interesting races, but it's just, it's getting a bit too much now. And considering like, what a team Ferrari are and their history in Formula One, you would not expect that. You'd expect them to be more professional. It's a bit like a Bond. There's a Bond movie that's come to my head where um, Bond's just failed a. <laughs> sorry, Bond's just failed a mission. It's it's for your eyes only. He's just failed a mission, and he's been hauled up to the big to the to, to the big boy's office and said, you know, you, you've done this wrong, etc. Um, and he finds a way out of it. I can just imagine the that Ferrari doing the same thing. And there's a there's a quote where he uh, where the, the boss says to Bond, 007, try not to muck it up again." That is, in my view, exactly what Bonotto's doing every single weekend. He just doesn't take it, as you say, Catherine. He's just not... He just doesn't... He's not... How can I put this? He's not demonstrating the seriousness of what they're doing. They're Ferrari. And they need to be... They should be not... Maybe You can't win every race, but they should be, at least be competitive rather than um, making these balls-up strategy calls and then trying to make all the drivers do all the work. <laughs> because, again, it continued, right? And, um, you know, maybe we should get Judy Dench to take over Ferrari. But it's... Um, <laughs> it was Judy Dench who said that, wasn't it? Uh, I can't remember the actor's name. No, this is for your eyes only. So you're talking 1979... James I think is very very old. Um, <laughs> um, I am old. Right, Abby's like right, that was. Um, wow, yeah. My, my dad wasn't <laughs> even born then. Um, right, so sticking with Ferrari, it just continued. There was another a bizarre, bizarre thing that they did at the end of the race, and when we saw the the, the finishing results, everyone was like, "Huh? What's happened?" And what happened was Ferrari thought, okay, we've messed it up a little bit. Um, but to, to get more airtime on the Cut to the Race podcast, we need to do something worse so that they can they, we get some more airtime. Um, what did they do? You forgot to say question at the end. I didn't know whether you were asking uh, I, me I, or yeah, not. Sorry. I, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm messing my own strategy up here. But, um, but yeah, so basically they thought, you know what? Let's try. And instead of getting 10 points, we'll try to get 11 because it was really going to affect the championship. So they decided to pit Leclerc again, put him on softs, so he would go out and f hopefully get the fastest lap. But unfortunately, there was Fernando Alonso just coming right up, and he overtook him when Leclerc came out of the pits. What happened then was that on the last lap, Leclerc, he had to overtake Alonso, and he had to do the fastest lap and basically when you're overtaking you are bound to lose some time because the driver in front of you was trying to defend so the fastest lap didn't happen but thank god at that moment i thought thank god leclerc still managed to overtake alonso and he finished in p5 but then we find out that leclerc he oversped when he was coming out of the pit stop of the pit lane 
and of course he infringed the regulations so that meant a five second penalty for Leclerc and he still finished in sixth so just for one point we and Ferrari ended up losing two I think that summarizes their entire season just just to do well they take two steps back it's honestly it's just you know what really hits me when Leclerc was having his interview with Sky after the race they asked him they were like so is it about earning those one points now and that is like that is for me it was a very good question and it really I think Leclerc at that moment realized himself too he was like what are we doing and that was the moment when Ferrari realized that now they do not have a chance for the championship in my opinion because even if you look at their body language Leclerc didn't have the same determination that he had when he was coming into the weekend Benotto after said we are counting on Max not finishing races to win the championship so it just tells you everything Mm, I, I, I agree I mean the fact that he pitted he sped in the pit lane and was still overtaken tells you that they didn't really calculate what they were doing in the first place you know he he actually sped in the pit lane and still got overtaken so yeah pretty pretty miserable afternoon for the ferraris but i think it's time to talk about red bull gives you wins um did you like what i did there yep that joke max verstappen started in 14th and uh, everyone who listens to the podcast know that he he won the race. But for me, it was it was too easy. That is such a cool stat to have. Starting in 14th, winning the race. That sounds like, oh, that must have been an epic drive. He must have been fighting until the end. No, I think after lap eight or nine, it was very clear that he was going to win the race. Christian Horner said after the race, I I'd never thought I never thought that Max was going to win this race. Rubbish. R- rubbish. Christian Horner knew that they had a massive chance of winning that race. What do you think, James? And I'm not going to say question because we're not talking about Ferrari anymore. I'm going to say, um, <clears throat> for lack of a better term, uh, he is talking baloney there. Um, he knew that he was going to win the race. Um, me and Abby were talking during the race uh, uh, on, on our Slack, as we sometimes do. And we're both of the opinion that Adrian Newey has unlocked something on that Red Bull car. Now, we don't know what that is. The, and Christian Horner will say his car complies with the regulations, which I'm sure it does. But when you look at the as you say, the ease of which he cut through the field and the deficit to the rest of the pack on different tyres, you know, when he's meant to be slower, something is not right. And it just reminded me a lot of two things. One, Schumacher, uh, Schumacher coming through from a very similar position back in 95, again a spa, but also Vettel in 2013 when he robbed to nine consecutive wins. Uh, again, in a very similar scenario when everyone was thinking, why is he dominating in that car? Um just the ease of which he overtook everyone was just unbelievable as you say um, he just cruised up to the back of everybody and 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 he cruised up to the back of science as well and he was gone within a minute and then he finished what was it he finished 20 seconds or something ahead of Perez who looked at who looked at sorry 17.841 seconds he crossed the line ahead of Perez who's his teammate supposedly in the same car Exactly, which tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> it's 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 unbelievable, and 
you know, the, 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 the difference between Mercedes and Red Bull in qualifying was nearly two seconds. And um, this is, th- we have seen something change very, very recently. And it's ruining or going to ruin the spectacle of the, the rest of the season if it continues like this, because it's, uh, dominance is boring. Abby? Yeah, I think there's something going on with Max's car because, yes, he started 14th and won the race. He got up to 8th within two laps and then he got the lead on the 12th lap, went back down after pitting, but then retook the lead on lap 18, which he kept until he saw the chequered flag. The new floor regulations came into play this weekend and it was speculated that Red Bull were running an illegal floor before, so if they had to adapt to the new regs, then they would be slightly slower. But they're a hell of a lot faster. 1.8 seconds faster than Mercedes in qualifying. You have Max very, very quick and quicker than his teammate in the race. And I feel like there's just something going on because it's not fun to watch when you just have one car take the lead and then it's like 20 seconds ahead of everybody else and not really racing because then it's it's just not that entertaining. And with all the penalties and then Hamilton and Bottas retiring as well, it did make it easier for Verstappen to then get through the field because there were less cars to overtake. And in my opinion, sometimes it did look like the cars just let him by, which is understandable because their race isn't necessarily with the Red Bulls. But still, like, defend a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I don't really know who who is racing with Verstappen, which is sort of the whole point. Um, and it's to be clear, certainly from my point of view, we are not saying that Max Verstappen is only winning because he's in a, a car that's faster than everyone else's. No, Max Verstappen is a fantastic driver out of this world, and he's proving it. But surely, for the sport, we want to see him actually prove it. And it, it reminds me of. You know, Hamilton and Bottas uh, in, in all of those those years where Hamilton was almost a lap ahead of Bottas in second. It's uh, it, it's not f- fun to watch. Yes, Hamilton's a great driver. Yes, Verstappen's a great driver. But this is what made last year so good was that they actually had the chance to prove it themselves, right? Yeah, exactly. And the, the 2022 cars were supposed to promote closer racing and have a more more entertaining title battle up front with more cars and teams battling. But we're not actually getting that because Red Bull were just completely dominating the championship. But then I think too, when you look back to last year and you had a good championship between Mercedes and Red Bull, you had two really good, reliable teams. Whereas now you have most of the teams that they are trying to figure out the new regulations. Like we have heard how much problems Mercedes had and the other teams are still trying to figure things out too. And then you have Ferrari who have sort of figured things, they figured things out on the car, but they didn't figure things out in their team. So I feel like I get what you guys are saying, and I found it weird too how some of the drivers were literally just giving first stop and way. But at the same time, it's like Red Bull, I don't think that they really have much to compete with at this point now. Yeah, and it, it, it seems to me like, you know, the Ferraris and the Mercedes are almost quite even. We saw them battling. We saw um, Russell overtaking. You know, everyone was thinking, oh, that Mercedes is so slow on a straight, but it's not. Um, they, they were able to fight. It's just this Red Bull. But 
The other Red Bull driver, um, for those of you who haven't seen him at all or heard of him because you don't see him very often, uh, he's called Sergio Perez, and he is a fantastic racing driver. But he is... How do I say this without everyone going, ooh? He is employed by Max Verstappen Racing Team, and he clearly slowed down to let Max get past him, and Max was on the soft tyres, Perez was on the mediums and Max's tyres should have been slowing him down by this point, but magically Perez wasn't an issue for him in the same car. Catherine? You know what? I do not want to sound like I am defending Verstappen or anything like that. But for me, sometimes when I see this, I just see Verstappen there and I really admire him because his mentality is so different it's like when you have Ronaldo and Messi in football you cannot compare them to other drivers and I think maybe Verstappen is that to Formula One so it's like you know if you have if you had a team like Real Madrid when they had Ronaldo back in the day the beautiful days they used to pass it on to Ronaldo because they knew that he can bring results and I'm not saying that Paris cannot bring results I'm just saying that probably Verstappen is just on another level Mm, I just think you know um, Verstappen's so far ahead in the championship they didn't even need to swap the cars there was no reason to do that Perez could have won the race and it wouldn't make much difference um, James you're frowning would you like to comment on this matter to me it's a bit of a Schumacher Barrichello situation short of him uh, slowing down on the final lap Perez is now pretty much uh, subservient uh, to uh, Max Verstappen <laughs> now uh, completely and as you say, it is, um, it is unfortunately Max Verstappen racing. Max is unbelievably fast. There is no getting away from that. But to quote Abby, we won't know. Sorry, I did say this next bit, but we won't know what is going on with that Red Bull car for, I would say, for another 10 years. Because that's when all the stuff comes out. And we'll find out what happened in 2013. We'll find out what happened, you know, this year with this car. Um Max is just on a different level, but for sure, uh, to finish 17 seconds ahead of your teammate has got to be gutting. But I just don't know. I mean, I don't. I mean, and the thing is, I don't know if you put another driver in that car if they would have the exact same result. Because I think the team is so based on Max's needs and Max's needs and wants that no driver will ever have a, a, any chance of car set up. Uh, a preference of how the car is designed and in terms of how a particular driver uses their uh, uses their skills in the car. It's all based towards Max. Either you adapt to it or you're out. That's Red Bull's philosophy. And it's brutal. It works. But nonetheless, it is, unfortunately, to quote Max Verstappen, it's killing the sport. <laughs> and if you looked through the replies to Red Bull's tweet where they shared that Max is in P3, like what a drive or something. The replies to that, a lot of them were actually reminding Red Bull that they did have two cars on the grid. It isn't just Max. They do actually have a second driver, which was quite interesting because Perez is kind of just in the shadows. So it does kind of play into the whole Max Verstappen racing team aspect of it. Uh, We've spoken about Ferrari. We've spoken about Red Bull. Um, We haven't really mentioned George Russell. I thought it was a solid race from him. He finished the race in P4. It was going to be P3. And then he made a little mistake, which meant he didn't get the Ferrari of Carlos Sainz. But George Russell held it down. He's having a really good season. And... There's so much talk of this Mercedes being awful and Lewis Hamilton isn't going to miss it next year, which 
sort of makes me think that they're having a bit of a, a, a bottoms-up redesign of that car for next year, which they need to. But it's not that bad. They're competing with Ferrari. They're, in my head, they're, they're, they're competing for second in this championship. I just think, to be honest, that, um, again, not to put Ferrari down, but it just shows, to your point, Catherine, that Ferrari just seems to have realised they're out of this now and they have to look over their shoulder because there is a very real chance that Mercedes will finish P2 in the constructors this year. And that's that that's not that's not only testament to how amazing Mercedes have got have got have managed to turn around the situation and still developing it despite the really hard year they're having, but it's also testament just to how diabolical Ferrari seems to have gone in the last few races. I thought George's drive was brilliant. If he you know and if he hadn't had that mistake he would have got third place and to me it just shows just the level that Mercedes continue to operate at as they as they try and battle through this very unlucky named car the W13 now Alpine they had a good race weekend Uh, we've spoken a lot about Fernando Alonso Uh, he finished in P5 and it was Ocon in P7 this is you know, we always thought it was McLaren versus Alpine. It's not really, is it? It's it's Alpine. Alpine are there in fourth now. And McLaren can't really pull that back. Do you think this is... Well, two questions here. Fernando Alonso is potentially still got a world championship in him. I believe that. I think it in the right situation. Um, but Ocon's performing as well. He is being outshadowed, but um, that car's great, isn't it? It is. And his performance yesterday in the race was amazing really because he started 16th and he finished 7th but there were two times where he overtook two cars in one go going into corners which was just incredible to watch because it did provide on-track action that was entertaining for viewers so it is really good to see Ocon actually have this fight in him and I definitely think that Alpine have secured fourth in the championship I don't really see McLaren beating them at all obviously Ricardo and Norris compared to Alonso and Ocon's performances they're not quite up there and it is like Alpine have two drivers that are up there consistently I'd say whereas with McLaren obviously Ricardo isn't performing quite as well um but yeah that Alpine they've definitely definitely done something to make a very good car this season yeah I mean uh you know Ricardo finished the race nearly three minutes later than Max Verstappen. Um, that's a painful statistic, isn't it? That's a horrible thing to say. My God. Um, he wasn't even last, but that is, yeah, that is, that's not, that's not nice to hear. It was, it wasn't a great race for Ricardo. I mean, the, 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 the people who surprised me on this race were the Aston M- 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 Martins, for anyone who remembers the um, introduction of the Aston Martin team, where the woman stuttered on saying Aston Martin. Um, yeah, great race. Sebastian Vettel, I thought he was brilliant yesterday. Absolutely brilliant. And we saw him fighting, overtaking. Could this be the return of Aston Martin, or do you just do any of you think it was just a good weekend? I think it was probably just a good weekend. I want them to do well. But they did say that they are going to focus on next year's car, which I think is now is pretty fair enough. I think that, of course, they will still keep pushing to try and get some good results. And that will also help with the feedback that they earn at the end of the season. And of course, at the end of every race, because the, the works for next year, they have surely already started. 
but I think it was just a good race. Of course, I think it would be really good if we see Vettel performing like that in his last few races and hopefully earn some more points because at least he would end his last season in Formula One. If it is his last season in Formula One, we never know if he'll ever come back. But anyways, that is for another day. Um, but it would be nice to see see him end his last season on a high. I think for me, it was a tale of two halves, if you like, for uh, for, for the Aston Martin drivers. Because Vettel was undeniably brilliant. Stroll, if I'm honest, didn't have the strongest afternoon. Uh, and then he I, I can still remember towards the end of the race, he pulled into the pits with Alex Albon. Uh, the Williams stayed ahead of him. And then he was overtaken by Nicholas Latifi on the way out of the pits. And it was just painful to watch. Um, he did recover, but he didn't finish. He didn't finish in the points. So I don't think that will have done his confidence much good, if I'm honest. No, and, you know, Stroll, he was behind Ricardo for a long time and wasn't able to... It wasn't that he wasn't able to overtake, it's that he didn't make a move. He he was just... He seemed quite content with sitting behind Ricardo. That's... That's not the the mentality that you need in a racing driver, is it? You need to take those opportunities as you get them. We saw Vettel doing that. We saw Stroll not doing that. But it is time to talk to James about Albon. You're very happy with his results, aren't you? I am. Uh, it was a it, He was on form from the first practice session. He had a brilliant qualifying, was then promoted because of the grid penalties, but he kept, he kept and stayed in the points on merit. And he he just drove the backside of that Williams car. Um, he did unfortunately have a bit of a DRS train behind him uh, because that car was so slippery and so difficult to follow in a straight line. So it was it was the Albon Express, the Albon train. But I want to quit. I want to do a bit of a fact if someone can remember it. Who can? Does anyone remember? Does anyone know what the first train to be named after a driver was? And it's from the, it's from the it's from the mid two thousands. Can anybody know what the, who the driver was for, to be given the first title of having a train behind them? It will have been um, Roberto Meri. Nope, it was Jano Trulli, the Trulli train. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of drivers that would normally hold people up. Okay, interesting. And pointless, but never mind. <laughs> it's very pointless. Welcome <laughs> to the Cut to the Race podcast. <laughs> but you know, but he did. But Albon did have a train behind him. That's because that Williams was so slippery. But he did. He did absolutely everything he needed to do to keep that car in the points. And I thought it was a thoroughly deserved um, finish for, for for the for the for the tie brick driver completely. So looking back to the bottom of the results, uh, we had well the Alphas and um, Haas as well. Yeah, Haas. They seem to have lost their momentum. Haas went from double points to double last. So what really happened there? They, both cars had the upgrades this weekend, so but they didn't really prove to have really done anything. Do you have any comments on that, Abby? Question? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it... I'm not really sure what's happening with them. It was obviously great to see them perform really well. And like Schumacher got his first points in F1 as well. But I think they were both running upgraded cars this weekend. Obviously with the with the positions that they finished in, the upgrades probably haven't quite worked out how House were hoping they would. Mm. Um, but yeah, hopefully with the remaining races, we can actually see them 
perform better like we know that they can and see like Shui get some good results as well because it would be great to see him get some good solid points especially since there is rumors about his position his position at Haas and whether he'll actually be racing for them next season as well yeah I mean um it's it's very sad it's it's has have been good when you know when they started in f1 they got better they were often getting points then we've seen them go to absolutely awful and be last at every single race substantially last we saw them at the beginning of this year come back out out qualifying mercedes finishing races in you know sixth and having consistently good results and now we're back to where they have we're back to normal i think is is where what i was going to say james what, what are they ever going to really sort it out well gunther needs to get back onto the f1 manager menu and try some new upgrades because clearly they haven't worked and uh, that's a pl- unfortunately it's a plug there i do apologize um however in all serious because it's such a good game i love it. i'm so addicted um but in all serious now on that game <laughs> oh i love it you saw it last night um but in all seriousness i think has compared to last year it is a massive step forward even if they did finish as you say double last catherine um I think they've got some more points finishes in them this year. It might well be that we forget sometimes the Hass's budget, although we have the budget cap, is so much less than some of the other top teams. And it might well be that they've already shifted their focus to the 2023 car, um, which to me would make sense that they've done that. So uh, I don't, I reckon there's one more like 10th place in them if they're lucky and if they, they, they cap, I think they'll be midfielders for the rest of the year. But I would not, I would not um, be unsurprised if they, uh, popped up into the points a bit more regularly towards the start of next season but I think that's the best that they can hope for because as you say Abby their momentum's gone and both of the Haas cars were lapped as well as uh, Nicholas Latifi which was still behind Ricardo, who was three minutes behind I haven't actually got how far behind they were other than a lap but that's it's really it's just not it's not nice to look at it makes me uncomfortable to look at those times but that is what it is should we go to our drivers of the day? Yeah, let's. Okay. Abby, who was your driver of the day? Esteban Ocon, because <laughs> Ollie's looking really shocked at that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking at the list of people and he wasn't on my list, but okay. Explain. <laughs> because he started outside the points with the penalty. He finished seventh, got some solid points for the team, only two places behind Alonso, and he completed some amazing overtakes overtaking two cars in one go was just really good in my eyes so he is my driver of the day all right uh catherine i'm gonna give it to you ladies first well i gave mine to sebastian vettel because i thought that he had a really good race to be fair in a really bad car so fair play to him okay right so far this is good because i i I always ask everyone first and I have mine in my head and someone someone will cover it, but they haven't covered mine yet. James, please don't do it. Who's your driver of the day? I was going to give it to Vettel. <laughs> uh, I'm instead going to change my mind, though, however, and I'm going to give it to Alex Albon for his uh, fantastic drive, uh, again, in a really rubbish car, and uh, just being able to bring that Williams home and withstand all the pressure through the race. And I'm hoping that hasn't 
sport your thunder. No, it hasn't. <laughs> this is the first time I can stick with my own driver of the day. My driver of the day was Fernando Alonso. Um, I thought it was an incredible drive. He's on form and his commentary on team radio really made me laugh. So he's getting my driver of the day. I just thought it was it was fantastic. And yes, he took out Lewis Hamilton or he didn't take Lewis Hamilton out. Hamilton potentially nearly took him out. Um, it was definitely Hamilton at fault, which we know. But still, it was Fernando Alonso. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying having Fernando back in the sport, and I didn't think I was going to. And yesterday proved why. He was in all the action and performed. So I'm just looking at the, the 2022 driver standings as it, as it stands. And um, just one observation I had just when I pulled this up was... Max Verstappen is winning. Wow, yes, we know that. Um, he is nearly 100 points ahead of um, the person in P2, which is his teammate Sergio Perez. But Verstappen has had nine wins and is in first. The, the driver in second, again, you may have heard of him, he's called Sergio Perez. He has only had one win, but he is in second in the standings. That's incredible, right? It's consistency. That's what's got it for him. It's just you, you can only get into a position like that if you are consistent all the time. And although he is in Max's shadow, he always brings it home and he brings it home in a high position. End of story. And that proves it because the man in third has had three wins, but he's still in third. And that is Charles Leclerc uh, with 186 points. He's not far behind Perez, but now Perez has overtaken him. Um, who wants to continue the championship standings without making observations about each one? I will do it, although I do have a, a little stat for just a bit further down. Okay, yes. Keep the observations going then. <laughs> so it's then Charles Leclerc in third, only a few points behind Perez with Sainz in fourth, then Russell in fifth and Hamilton in sixth on 146 points. Lando Norris is then in seventh, but he's 70 points behind Hamilton. So there's quite a big gap between sixth and seventh in the Drivers' Championship. Ocon is then in eighth on 64 points with Alonso behind him on 51 points. And Valtteri Bottas rounds out the top 10 on 46 points. So I'll, take, I'll take the constructors. So Williams are in 10th position with four points. Uh, in ninth is Aston Martin with 24. So a bit of a gap for Williams to make up there. In eighth is Alpha Tauri um, on 29. So if Aston Martin have a few more good results or another race like that, Alpha Tauri season could take a real turn for the worse. Uh, in seventh is Haas on 34. Sixth is Alfa Romeo on 51. Then it's McLaren in fifth on 95. Then Alpine in fourth on 115. So as we say, that probably that fight is now done. Then there is a bit of a gap. Uh, so Mercedes are in third with 316. Second place is Ferrari with 357. And then a bit more of a gap to Red Bull at the top on 475. Yeah, that's a bit of a gap between fourth and first, isn't it? That's uh, four times more points. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, quite substantial. And again, looking at sort of the... Uh, the podiums um, it's only really the top three teams Red Bull, Ferrari and Mercedes that have had any um, the exception is McLaren with one but it's um, it's a shame you know we're looking at Alpha Tauri here who are the sister team they're not they're not the they're not the um, junior team of Red Bull just plummeting down and they've got 
Gasly as well. I mean, where's his career looking at the moment, guys? Not to go back into the podcast, but what's Gasly going to do? He has been rumoured to go to Alpine. But the thing is, the amount of drivers that were rumoured for Alpine. You had Schumacher, you had Ricardo, you had Gasly. It's just, hopefully he still has a seat in F1. But if, well, if he doesn't have it, like... Next year, if Alpha Tauri do not bring anyone new, yes, they will keep him. But they're not going to keep him there forever. So. Mm. Okay. So really, at this point in the season, looking at the championship as it is, there's going to need to be a nuclear explosion at the Red Bull factory for them not to win both titles. Um, Would you agree with that, James? I mean, is it written now? I say he's got one hand firmly on the trophy. Unless be here, unless he has a, a run of a serious run of failures, engine, gearbox, or whatever, that's the only thing that can stop him now, in my view. Because unfortunately, and I hate to say it again, Ferrari are gifting him. They've gifted it to him because they have made so many screw ups, and we've been in, we we talked about it numerous times about the reasons behind it. But Verstappen will win this championship. And I can only hope that next season either Ferrari get their act together or Mercedes are back in the fight and can challenge Red Bull a bit more seriously because I think until the end of the year, Max can just romp to, to victories unless something serious happens. Absolutely. And Abby, can you see any reason for Red Bull not to win the Constructors now? Because Ferrari over 100 points behind. Mercedes are, well, 150. So, you know, Mercedes might get second, but no one's, no one's going to stop Red Bull unless there's a nuclear explosion at the factory. Yeah, I think Red Bull pretty much have it in the bag. I think Perez is performing consistently as well. And it is just about having that consistency that Ferrari just don't seem to have because they either mess it up in their own way or they're just really unlucky, like Verstappen impacting Leclerc, causing him to have an early pit stop in yesterday's race. So I think Red Bull have pretty much won the Constructors. Okay, and my final question on this show is something I missed on my notes when we were talking about Ferrari, but there was a comment um, there was a comment during uh, one of his practice sessions that Charles Leclerc is a liability for Ferrari, and both of the commentators, both of the commentary team agreed on this, um, and I'm not particularly sure I agree with that. Let's ask the Tafosi in the room, Catherine. I heard that and I wasn't happy with that. Not at all. Because if you look at how his races went, for example, this season, you cannot say that Leclerc is not reliable. You can say that Ferrari aren't, but not Leclerc. And you know what? I think Leclerc, for his age, I always go back to Monza 2019 because during that race, he had done such a great race in which Mercedes literally threw everything get him and it's just no unreal no unreliable driver would go on to win that race you know so i'm sorry i have to disagree with them it was a bit uncalled for so he is a great driver and in my opinion he deserves better than what ferrari are giving him okay so that was the tofosi view uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Leclerc has made a few mistakes though let's hear the the, the non-sophosy view of James he has I also disagree with with those results because I think Leclerc can't trust Ferrari 
at the moment. And until that trust comes back, he will not perform at 100%. You can't. And I think the radio calls we heard during this this uh, this race you know, during this race reaffirm that you you can't ask a driver not to return to but you can't ask a driver to, to to make all those decisions whilst driving at 180 miles an hour trying to overtake cars. Uh, I just think they need a complete restructuring of how their strategy operation is. Until then, Leclerc will continue to make mistakes and he will continue to perform below par. He can't perform 100. percent uh, just the final, just a final point I'd like to make on the race as well was towards the end of the race, we had uh, McLaren giving us a bit of entertainment when Lando Norris came onto the radio, and uh, he said, "I'm struggling with my tires," and he said, and the, the uh, his race engineer said, "It's too late for Plan G." Not content with Plan A, Plan B, C, D, E, or F, we had to go to G. Now that even tells me that McLaren are very, very meticulous with how what they what, the, what they do with their engine plans, you know, for their with their strategy plans. <laughs> or, like, it, I mean, it, it got ridiculed by the commentators. To be fair, for good reason. Yeah, I loved when Brundle he was like, I think that they just throw in plans like this and then just leave it for us idiot commentators to like talk about it. And he's right because it's literally it's just the amount of plans. These, I, I do get it that like they probably the amount of data that they have, they create so much strategies. But plan G, it's like in two hours. We did have a podcast with Mike Coldfield, who was a Haas strategist, and he told us all about how many different plans they have. It's a really good show, go and listen to it. But there are thousands of different plans. But when you look at the different sort of strategies, there were only really four or five you could have had in that race, right? So plan G, yes absolutely quality gold especially at that point in the race because there wasn't really nothing you could do to change it so that's our review of the 2022 belgium grand prix at spa coming up next we've got zanvoort and it's a triple header so the following week we have monza which of the two are you guys looking forward to do you think we will see maybe a different race winner uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how, uh, one, Max goes in front of his Dutch crowd. It's either going to go amazingly well or amazingly badly. And at Monza, I'm just looking forward to seeing the scale of the cock-up that Ferrari do in front of the Tifosi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these, are, these are the things that we have to look forward to in this season. We have to look forward to Max potentially cocking it up on his home Grand Prix and Ferrari doing the same. So yeah, that's um, that's what's left really to look forward to, isn't it, Abby? Um, yeah, pretty much what James said. I mean, I'd like to see a different race winner in the triple header, hopefully, but I would say it's, it's pretty much that Verstappen is going to win. So yeah, I think I'm looking forward to Monza out, like more out of the two of them. Well, thank you for listening. We will be back on Wednesday with news from the nerds, where I'm sure these three will be bringing you up to date on what's going on at Alpine and McLaren and how Daniel Ricciardo is feeling and all of the top news stories of the week. Until then, we shall say goodbye. Thank you very much, James. Thank you very much, Ollie. Uh, Abby, thank you. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Never at all. Come back next week for some more. Catherine, thank you very much. I'm not going to join on it or try again. So I would just say thank you for having me and I'll hopefully I'll talk to you guys next week. Awesome. See you next week. Goodbye. 
You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Sports Social Podcast Network.